Hey, welcome to Swedenborg Live. We're so glad to have you. Signs of a spiritual awakening. That's what we're looking at today. Uh, and I am so glad to get to sp spend some time developing my will and my intellect with all of you at home. Thanks for hanging out. Today we're going to be doing nothing but answering the questions that are on all of your hearts so that you've got that chat machine in front of you. Get in there writing stuff because we want to know uh, what's on your mind. And there's, there's, uh, we love talking about everything. So thanks so much for doing that. I'm not going to do it alone. I've got an awesome panel here with me as always. Everyone, would you introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Chelsea Odner and I'm a writer for Swedenborg and Life. I'm Cara Dom and I am the Latin consultant for Off the Left Eye. And I'm Karen Childs. I'm a writer at Off the Left Eye and community manager. I'm glad to be here. It's such a cool group of people. And I mean that like the panelists and all of you at home, it's just going to be a wonderful time. Uh, there's a couple of great things happening today. First of all, you have a chance to have your support of Off the Left Eye go twice as far. We have a $10,000 match still in effect. We're just about halfway there. We got to keep it going. So if you donate otle.causevox.com, Double the money will go into this kind of programming and everything else that we do. And if we right now tonight get $100, just $100 from everybody combined, we will all give you a bonus 15 minutes of Q&A because, uh, because we love you and we, we want to show our support for your support. So there's the you'll see a little thermometer on the screen. That'll go up. Hey, let's see if we can hit our goal today. And coming up, we actually have a raffle the new donor raffle so for the months of july and august everybody who donated for the first time the first time you said look at this off the left eye swedenborg whatever you want to call it this good message i feel like this is as valuable as coffee or as valuable as cereal and i'm gonna support it if it was you first time in july or august you may win a piece of off the left eye new logo swag that is not to be missed so that's coming up but first let's check in with what you guys were thinking this week we have our question we always pose a question on our youtube channel to you the audience uh this time it was what does being spiritually awakened mean to you can we look at terms here because that's pretty broad it, can we uh, get a sense of what that looks like in each individual person's perception so karen our community manager what what did people have to say about that here are some excerpts from your wonderful responses. As always, it's a wonderful variety. So here are some samples. I have been awakened to the depth and diversity of other people's experiences of life. Now I consider the other person's perspective. I listen more. Mm, Being a nice. better person and taking that task seriously, caring about others. Freeing from fear and connecting with true self alignment and awareness of personal and universal truth and wisdom, being positive in interaction with others, shedding fear and doubt, anchoring heaven on earth when it is needed most, right. being consciously aware of all that is true, especially in a world where so much of the truth is hidden or twisted. Sometimes accepting the truth may take time. Seeing and understanding one, meaning oneness, that we are all human beings, not a color of skin. Being awareness and presence without thoughts dictating every single moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Too much yeah. thinking. 
a new perspective, seeing the Lord's presence everywhere, including myself. Knowing that love is life, looking around and appreciating everything, the good and the bad, to feel okay right here, right now. Gaining deeper insights into myself and the world, my love of God, my fellow humans, and of fellow beings on our Mother Earth has intensified. Being a channel for the Holy Spirit to do God's will upon this earth. Yes. It's about love and connectedness. We as individuals have different purposes and things to accomplish, but we are all one. Growing awareness of the essential interconnectedness of our earthly experience to the unfolding will of divine providence. Able to be aware of two levels and desiring the inner to take hold. Effortless love and compassion for others, low anxiety and fear due to trust in the bigger picture. I am definitely not there yet, LOL. I would love to be though someday. It's a good thing they're not because then the rest of us would feel bad. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) The process of distinguishing what's happening from what I'm making it mean. Yeah, some discernment on your own thinking. And finally, more aware of how important you are to the world and how important love is to our planet, people, animals, and plants. I am more aware of God's presence. That's cool. What so, a great list. And yeah. and what a list, like a tangible, and also nobody is going to be upset to learn that their neighbor in their apartment building wrote that. This is the kind of people y'all want around, you know, because this, <laughs> this these are good spiritual awakenings. So thanks so much, everybody, for sharing that. Hey, guys, before we begin, last time we talked about True Christianity 607, where Kara pointed out that there's a little quote that goes like this. We cannot become spiritual unless we are associated with others who are spiritual. That's what it says. Guess what we're doing right now? Why are we doing this show? Because we're all trying to do this spiritual thing together, and it doesn't work unless we put our heads together like we are today. So on that note, let's get to our first question. This is Witch of the Wildwood who asks, is everything in the Bible a correspondence, or are there parts of it that should not be read correspondentially? Can you go overboard? Can you have a correspondence overdose? Or is, are there parts where you're just trying to read too much into where it seems to be obviously saying something in the literal sense? So what's the answer, everybody? Karen. Um, one thing Swedenborg distinguishes, uh, if you've been around our channel a while, you might have heard that there are certain books of the Bible that he picks out that he um focuses on as having a continuous inner meaning, meaning that there is a complete story from beginning to end if you take these particular books of the Bible. And it's a story of um, the inner process of Jesus from birth to glorification, you know, when he was resurrected. It's also the story of our own spiritual journey or spiritual rebirth. It's also the story of the, uh, the process of the human race, you know, the, the spiritual development, the spiritual journey of the human race. So it's pretty much the hero's journey <laughs> is uh, continuously told through these certain books of the Bible that um, Swedenborg uh, points out. He does say that the other books in the Bible do have some correspondences in them. It's just that they're not this continuous story. 
And um, I get the feeling that the the uh, epistles, the epistles are letters by the apostles as they're starting there. I think of them more as like sermons. Um, so that that's a little bit, you know, by the by the apostles and, and by Paul. Um, so they are taking what they learned from Jesus and um, turning it into talks that they're giving to other people. And I do, you know, when I sometimes read in there, I can see, oh, that's kind seems correspondential, but it seems like that's a little bit different thing than, um, than this, uh, this divine message that was, uh, particularly guided in certain books of the Bible to be this continuous inner story. And so I think you can find correspondences in other places, but there are particular books that have this, this inner message. That's, um, that's a complete, a complete story. If you, if you learn it. Absolutely. So, so two different modes of engagement for really two very different texts, maybe with the same mission, but, but usually stuck together in, into the same book. Uh, Cara or Chelsea, did you have any follow-ups or rebuttals to what Karin <laughs> No rebuttals here. Um, it does occur to me, though, that, um, for instance, as Karin referred to, the epistles they they are letters, they're talks, they're sort of evangelistic in tone um, or preaching in tone. Whereas the books that Swedenborg focuses on as correspondential are stories. And when you think of in the New Testament, the story of the Lord's birth or the stories, the bizarre stories in Revelation that involve all this imagery that imagery is what lends itself to correspondence um, rather than just ideas like the epistles are talking about. You know what? It's like all the books of the Bible that probably a lot of churches who are Christian churches who are like evangel uh, evangelization focused thinking, how do we get newcomers in? Well, don't read these books because they're weird. Those are the ones with the correspondences in them. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Chelsea, have any further thoughts? Yeah, just like thinking about it kind of generally in terms of this idea of is there anything that should not be read correspondentially? And I guess I just think like uh, Swedenborg writes about it, and I think it's just sort of a part of being human that the more we use our rational faculty to think through things carefully, like to not just, you know, swallow it because we're told to necessarily but you know take time to really think it through for ourselves and um connect to spiritual ideas that correspondences are just really this cool um thing that's just everywhere you know ubiquitous in creation and and um like there's this idea of correspondences in the bible that sounds kind of intellectual and abstract but on the other hand swedenborg talks about how correspondences are like this living dynamic thing that is is what connects us to heaven and that's happening you know everywhere in some capacity in all of creation um even though it's sort of concentrated in this really essential way in the bible and um at, or like that's what swedenborg writes and so uh so it i kind of think everything's kind of fair game but in the same way that you would have to be respectful of where are different texts coming from or what is, you know, respecting other people's freedom, respecting people's background, you know, cause people ask us, well, what is, 
you know, what does this thing in my dream correspond to, you know, and it's like, well, it can be really fruitful to think about what are the correspondences in your dream, you know, or you're reading a text that's from some other culture. And you're like, well, what are the there's sort of feels like there's correspondences in that. And it's like, sure, there is. And that can be useful for your own spiritual life. And, and even and thinking about your own dreams and stuff, but then to sort of, you know, create respectful boundaries about like, well, just because I see it one way doesn't necessarily mean somebody else is going to see it the same way. You know, the, the Lord kind of is working in everybody to, um, you know, lead us to spiritual ideas. So it's just like a, so I, I feel like go ahead and use correspondences where it feels useful to you. Um, that idea, because I just think it's going to just bring you deeper and deeper into interesting things to think about. But then, you know, it's not necessarily like everything. Oh, it's only this way and nothing else, you know, or something. Um, yeah, I, I love your two main points that correspondences are not just a simple uh, arith- arithmetic one to one word means this. And then the other one that the correspondences are everywhere. Um, I'm thinking of the passage in the Garden of Eden story where there's an angel placed to guard the garden and the sword is spinning in the angel's hand. And Swedenborg describes a correspondential meaning of that being that there are infinite or many potential meanings to all the pieces of the word. But as long as they're all facing towards good, uh, that's good. And then uh, uh, in sacred scripture, I was just reading Sacred Scripture, which is one of Swedenborg's smaller books, and he has this really great section where he succinctly lays out that universal idea, where he and really gives me, gave me this cool sense of context of where the Bible fits in, because he says the hieroglyphics in Egypt were based on correspondences. The worship of all kinds of cultures who worshipped in nature was based on correspondences. They were in the ancient world and all this, and the Bible is pure correspondences. I almost wonder if like the reason why Swedenborg spends so much time on the Bible and puts it up so high is that it's some kind of super correspondence cluster, you know, yeah. and there is correspondences there in their pure, like they reach a critical mass where something divine happens. There are correspondences in everything. It's really, really good. And there's something going on in there. That's, that's really intense. Oh, sorry for bumping my thing. Um, yeah. Yes. So uh, Karen. Yeah, just to add, because I was reading something recently, and I can't remember exactly what it was saying, but it was the idea that the the Bible in Providence was just like the ancient word had been when it was understood. Uh, because the understanding of correspondences had started to get kind of scattered and dis- disconnected, even though it was there everywhere, like Chelsea's saying, and it still is, uh, what was needed was to... Uh, bring this back into like one into a a whole thing that was all connected and there was something very important spiritually technologically (laughs) to to keep that connection with heaven going when it was getting too scattered um in in the other ways yep and two two random scattered thoughts to end it and one is that swedenborg will be going through secrets of heaven and explaining line by line the bible but sometimes he'll just say that that going here meant going to a place doesn't need explanation. And yeah. sometimes the literal and correspondential sync up so tightly. And then finally, he talks about the, the hands in the face. He says, like, the Bible is like, a, is like Jesus, I think. He describes it as, you know, reaching out to you or a person. I can't, can't remember. But most of them is closed, but the hands in the face are not. So there's certain things that do unto others as you would have them do unto you that the spiritual meaning and the literal meaning make one. Even with the Ten Commandments, 
there's deeper levels always, but you can read it literally and still get something good out of it. Hey, so let's move on. Because other people have seen what a 15 minutes with us is like. Do you want to get another one? Well, Sean gave us a donation, our first donation of the night. Thank you, Sean. We're halfway to our $100 goal, so it's not going to take much to get there. Go to otle.cosvox.com, and you too can be part of what achieves our goal. Next question. This is Ronnie Libra who asks, what does Swedenborg say about how in the Torah, the Old Testament, God is all about destruction, war, genocide, live sacrifice, etc., etc. But then Jesus is about love and peace and goodness. Did God calm down? <laughs> Just take a breath. Or were there imposters? And if so, why is judgment still in place? These almost dueling natures of Jesus and God or the perception of those. Um what do, how do you reconcile that? It just seems like you can't just say they're all about uh, love and or there's messaging, branding is off. But what's going on, guys? <laughs> yeah, well, one thing just to get the ball rolling here because it jumps to mind is just that uh, uh, Jonathan Rose has a Bible study that his website can be found, spiritandlifebiblestudy.com. Com, okay. And, um, thanks. And, uh, uh, he did one that is just very memorable because it was called the something like the loving Jehovah and the angry Jesus. Um, because yep. really the, the alternate arguments can be made very compellingly um, with, in terms of Jehovah actually being just this over the top lovey dovey, you know, deity and, um, and Jesus having a bit of a temper. And, um, and so uh, I'm also remembering now that there is, somewhere is it is it one of the um gosh it might be an episode of the transcendiates which is on the swedenborg foundation youtube channel where i think there's an interview with uh, dr rebecca esterson where she also digs into how this kind of dichotomy of setting up this old testament angry god with this new testament loving jesus is again sort of a false dichotomy and kind of this um like Un, unfounded divide that kind of is like it's been built up over time as if Christianity and Judaism have something kind of you know inherently against each other and this kind of supports that argument but actually if you really look at the text like you're, you're going to get blown away by how loving Jehovah is and and then also your Jesus is going to give you a little bit of a talking to about what's going wrong in your life um, and uh, <laughs> and both of those things can be true but that doesn't that doesn't fully answer this person's question, but just some initial thoughts. Well, we're, we're laying very important groundwork there, that there is there is a, a unanimity of, of narrative more than you might think. Uh, so now that we've got that set, the question behind the question, which is, what's okay, so Jesus got anger too. Why is God so angry? Which is it? Is it love or is it vengeance? Is God strict and stern and disciplinarian or does God care about us and, and how we feel? So Cara, wh which is it? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know, but I have a thought or two. Um, <laughs> um, one thing Swedenborg says is that that angry image of Jehovah that shows up in the Old Testament sometimes is actually a picture of our own state when we are not aligning with God's love, with love to the neighbor, 
And so that's how we see God when we're not like ready to follow God and do, you know, just be on his team. So that's an interesting, that's one of those correspondential questions, you know, I mean, that's, that's not how the um, letter of the story goes, but it's an interesting way to think about what causes God to look like that. Oh, it might be my own state of mind. Um, and I, I'll let that go. I want to talk about judgment too later on. Okay, cool. It's cool. Really important concept that you brought up first though, which is the appearance that appearance. perhaps, you know, as, as the clouds make the sun appear to sort of wink in and out of brightness and warmth, the sun's not changing. The sun's not changing at all. Yeah, Karin, did you have something? Yeah, that it's uh, both points that were brought up. What I was thinking right away of there are actually a lot of beautiful passages in the Old Testament of God expressing love and mercy and, you know, heartfelt <laughs> things towards the people. And, you know, what Kara was saying is uh, so important to remember that the story, like I was saying, the, the, the story of the whole Bible is about our spiritual development, which involves us getting uh, more at odds with God sometimes and closer to God sometimes. And so when the text seeming to depict an angry God, that is a part of the story about when we're at odds with God's love. So um, when, when Jehovah seems angry or, or Jesus seems angry, it's just depicting when, where our egos are bumping up against what of God's will, you know, it's, it's a sort of self-centered time or, or um, something in us that's, that's not getting it. And so we can seem, it can seem to us like God is doing all these bad things, but, but we are just in a state where we're um, not able to um, perceive God's love. And the, Old Testament, I'd say one difference in the Old Testament and New Testament is kind of the the laws, like there's all these Old Testament laws. Uh, uh, Ronnie mentions uh, animal sacrifice and uh, go destroy these enemies, that kinds of things that are more violent in the literal sense than what Jesus was telling people to do, right? Um, but those that you also have to think about that when the text was being written, the uh, revelation has to be written in the language of the times and the old Testament was written in bronze age times when, um, just humanity was very much in a state of one conqueror conquers the other and, and enslaves all their people. And, and definitely lots of the idea of gods that want blood sacrifices and, you know, of humans or animals or whatever. And actually Swedenborg at one point says that uh, the Israelites were guided to towards animal sacrifice just so they would not sacrifice their own children. Like I was trying to just, um, the permission in that was just to try to gradually lead them away from worse things, which is always case in divine permission. When something is being um, allowed, it's always for the sake of so something worse will not happen. But it was also guided that, and when Jesus came along, um, he was never saying sacrifice animals or, you know, anything to do with 
violence. It was all getting into now things of the heart, you know, uh, uh, do, kindness and shunning evil, repentance and things like that, but not go out and <laughs> slaughter enemies because it was time for that kind of um, understanding to be eradicated. And so, um, but the Old Testament laws, even though they were just had to be permitted in that particular way at that time, kind of like you have to speak to adolescents in a different way than you would speak to an adult or whatever, um, it was provided that every ritual would um, correspond to something of the inner journey and the inner purification. It's a, it's a correspondence about things that have to happen in our hearts and minds or the battles, you know, it's, it's corresponding to our battles against our lower ego tendencies and things like that. And so at the same time as um, God had to be speaking as his, was best as possible to the population at that time in the literal sense, um, it also corresponds to things about our inner spiritual journey. This is a time when you got to read correspondentially. And that you almost think of the, the outer sense of the Bible as um, the hole around a seed. You think every little seed has to have something rough and hard and dense around it or else the squirrels are just going to eat it. They usually get in anyway. But the, the thing that's alive is, is inside of it. And, and this hole has to have those characteristics that it has to get the, the seed, protect it and get it into the ground. And then uh, the, the seed that's actually alive you know, comes out. And so to me, the, the correspondential meaning, the, the inner meaning is the love you're looking for. When you're seeing all this, this confusing, frightening stuff, that, that there was a place for that. I mean, it, 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 there was, yeah, at a time, just think about people who, who that's the language that they spoke. You had to speak that way to try to get any moral authority. But within there, there's that that seed um, and the judgment thing, um, really the correspondence of that. I mean, judgment, if you were to write a story from the perspective of some dust in the kitchen about the broom, <laughs> it, it would say like the broom is this terrible thing. It knocks you around. It knocks you to the dust and throws you out. Um, but if you wrote the same story from the perspective of a person, it's all oh, the, the broom is awesome. It makes the work so much easier. So it is with the, the negative stuff in our minds doesn't like what God does. They, they think it's pointless and, and abrasive, but the good stuff, you know, we can really start to recognize, um, uh, you know, what, what it's all about. So let's, uh, let's leave it there. Uh, that's a great, great question. We'll get on to our next one soon, but it's time for our donor appreciation raffle. First ever we're doing two months at once, I think, because it's our first ever. Uh, if you were a new donor, you can get some really awesome stuff. Or if you're not, if you are have already donated, just cheer these people on, okay? So you're going to see how high tech we are here. This is July. All these wonderful names down here are the people who first donated in July. You can see this is a scientifically controlled, randomized process. <laughs> I, my name, if I pick it, it's just fate. <laughs> that would be weird if this is the first time I don't it. Okay, are you ready? Hannah Diario. You <laughs> have won. Well, I forgot to say what it's for. You won a coffee mug with the sharp new, I think we have an image of it on the screen. The absolutely 
brilliant new Off the Left Eye logo right on your coffee mug, conversation starter, showcase piece where you drink out of it or where you put it in your trophy case behind glass. That's <laughs> Thank you so much, Hannah, for supporting us. Uh, and now let's see what's going on with August. Mm. Yay. Okay. Mm. All right. Thomas Primus or Primus, you are the proud winner. I got to say it before, don't I? Of a tote bag, <laughs> off the left eye logo tote bag. It doesn't matter because people don't have a choice of whether they win or not. So it's like <laughs> off the left eye logo tote bag coming to you. And that is going to carry books. It's going to carry supplies. And it's going to carry you in the spiritual enlightenment. So that's our <laughs> that's our new donor raffle. Thank you, everybody. It was just so cool to have so many people contribute for the first time in those two months. Really appreciate it. Hey, if you're sitting here today and you haven't donated, try it out. You'll be in the next raffle. We'll do this once a month. Speaking of that, we're halfway through the show and halfway to our goal. If you want to see another 15 minutes and you got a few dollars to spare, otle.cosbox.com. We have to raise money like this because... We're not for profit. We don't charge for any of our stuff. The only way we do we can do all this stuff is y'all donating. Thank you for everyone who has. Obviously, there's a bunch of you. This is from Nana Rosebud, who asks, are we actually meant to all become more spiritually inclined, as in our own mediumship abilities, and communicate easily to the spirit world without a medium? We're talking about spiritual awakenings this week, right? Is Is part of it? That, I mean, do we become more Swedenborg-like in that sense? What do you guys think? Uh, Karen, you want to start us off? Yeah, as we were conveying in these two shows about spiritual awakening, the goal is not to um, seek mediumship abilities, but to open your heart and mind to God, which is the same thing as only love and wisdom. And so it's to become more aware, more aware of your lower self tendencies so that you can choose from a higher place, more aware of kindness towards others, more aware of God working in your life, those kinds of things. So that is what we need to work on. And that's the, the journey of spiritual growth, which involves repentance, which is noticing and turning away from negativity and opening up to God. And if that happens, um, for some people, it might happen that they actually become more, you know, aware of the spiritual world around them. And for others, it won't. And it doesn't matter one way or another. It, that doesn't mean you're more or less spiritually awake because some people just have different um, abilities in that way. Um, Swedenborg does warn that if you only seek like, trying to get in touch with the spiritual world or spirits. Um, you can run into trouble. Like we talked about of, uh, in our show, is it safe to talk to spirits because there's a lot of shady characters <laughs> wanting to get in touch with us. And so the, the main thing is to work on your connection with God. And then if something um, spiritual awareness in terms of awareness of the spiritual world more consciously happens, you will be safe. And I do, though, think that as humanity as a whole becomes more spiritually awake, we the veil will continue to get thinner, which I think it has been already since Swedenborg's time uh, getting thinner. And we will start 
to go back towards that open communication between the spiritual world and the physical world that was there at the beginning in the golden age that Swedenborg des describes. I do think we're headed back to that kind of um, conscious awareness. But the thing we need to focus on is not worry whether that happens to us personally right now or not, but open your heart to God's love and that kind of thing. That's great. Yeah, so there, there's uh, it could, but it, it, it's fascinating how to Swedenborg, who was absolutely had a lot of his knowledge filled out or, or even given through this interaction with the spiritual world and, you know, who did so, was so famous for it, whether or not any of us gains that ability to him is really pretty incidental. I mean, all of his theology comes down to stuff that's universally applicable and accessible. Doesn't mean it couldn't have benefits and doesn't mean, right, like you're saying, it's not the way things should be, but you're not going to be held back. You don't have to, so I got to get an A in this class or else I can't pass. Any other uh, thoughts, Cara or Chelsea? Pretty good. Okay, Karen. I do want to add one more thing. It's, it's very interesting that uh, often I've read many stories about people who have had near-death experiences then having more psychic abilities afterwards. And it's just interesting that in those cases, because they got really in touch with you know, open to a God's love sort of thing. Um, they seem to be safely more able to be aware. And of course that doesn't have to happen that way, but that's just an interesting aside about that, that I think eventually that will be the case with all of us. Uh, for now, the focus is just God's love, but I think over, over time, those two things will get more and more connected. It's so interesting um, that yeah, that you have this dynamic where it, Swedenborg had to have that part of his awakening to be able to do the work he did. It was, it was critical to, he says he had his spiritual eyes opened so that he could communicate this information. So it's definitely, it definitely, we all benefited from him having his eyes open. So it definitely could be a thing that brings this stuff into the world. Thanks for the question. That's a great one. Uh, let's move on to our next question. This is from Riggle Piglet, who asks, Swedenborg's views on physical intimacy before a formal union are clear, but how does one defend that position in the face of the idea that you cannot have one form of intimacy without the other? So what we're talking about here is sex before marriage, if I'm reading between the lines, and what do you do? Um, first of all, what is Swedenborg's message on it? Because sometimes it seems like it's clear, but but I'd like to dig into that if necessary. And then what do you do, especially in the way that relationships are usually done? Now, there's this long, if there's even a marriage at the end, there's this long period before. How can you abstain? All this sort of stuff. Yeah, Carl, do you want to kick us off? Yes, with, the, with just a very short thought to start the ball rolling. Um, I think the point is that we want, our long-term relationships to be based on our spirits and our minds rather than our bodies. Um, so, you know, he's saying like, get to know each other before, like before you make this commitment, you're getting to know each other without that powerful sort of distraction of physical attraction. <laughs> um, that's one thought. Yeah. Right. So why, and why, if, if he's saying, look, nothing new for religious stuff to set down rules about sex and why is it just about control the Swedenborg will lay out like okay there's a particular order 
that not just it's arbitrarily, but there's a benefit, there's a tangible, long-lasting benefit. It's just good planning. That's the spirit behind it. It's something good for us. But let's yeah, let's continue our exploration, Karen. Yeah, I think the thing is everyone's journey to a part, you know, a soulmate partnership is going to be different. And there is one place in Swedenborg's book, Marriage Love, that sort of that does put out this ideal, like ideally when you're joining physically in sexual union, you have this love behind it, you know, that that you've already really connected in heart and mind. So there's one place that he is saying that. But there is other place and places in the book Marriage Love where he also talks about people who are having sex before marriage, but they but their goal is they want a marriage. You know, they want a, a soulmate marriage love. And he says that within that is the conjugal is being preserved. It, what your goal is, is what the Lord's going to lead you to. So it's... Um, not so crucial what the order is as your goal, because we're all going to have very, you know, winding roads to anything, um, our own spiritual growth and our own marriage with the Lord and our own marriage with somebody else. And so I think it's, um, you know, good to have that general goal of having a relationship with somebody that is a joining of hearts and minds, but, for you know, people that that's already you know they've already engaged in some sexual uh, contact. Um, does that mean they've wrecked everything? Well, no, of course not. Um, it's it's a journey, and what your your long term goal is carries the day, and the Lord is going to lead you through that. And so, just like have that goal, and you learn things along the way, and, you know, and people even can get married, but then they don't end up married to that person forever, and so, you know, it doesn't, that didn't, you know, there they had a sexual relationship with somebody that didn't end up being their their forever soulmate partner, uh, whether that was in this world or the next, and so I, I think the overall message I see in Swedenborg is Keep refining your your goal of what uh, what you're looking for in a relationship with another person. Keep refining it to be genuinely how to genuinely love another person and get closer to the Lord in that. That's awesome, and I do feel like it's worth pointing out that there is this two these dual experiences with Swedenborg. Like on one hand, he does talk a ton about the potential for sex being a part of spiritual relationship and that there is a lot of importance placed on you can't just do anything you gotta work through steps there's this careful order around it so in that way he does diverge from our sort of in the west like the post-christian like there just do whatever you want he seems to indicate that there's there's actually you can benefit a lot more from a certain way of doing things but there's a in the whole of Swedenborg's works, and this included as well, there is this, this heavy dose of when Jesus does work on the Sabbath. And all the Pharisees are saying, wait, there's this order. You've got to follow this order exactly. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. The point of the rules is to get us somewhere. So that what you mentioned before, Karin, about yeah, people's uh, premarital sex 
can be leading to a good relationship. He talks about, doesn't he mention that like bark on a tree? He says that that's sort of like the outer bark. Look that up. Look, I'm, look that up. Confirm it. But I'm pretty darn sure uh, that that's there. So there is this, I just think it's important to note that there, he will give you an order and this is how you do things. But he has all these, there's always seems to be this living flexibility in it. And there's this quote, uh, angels don't really care what somebody's body is doing. They care what their intent is. Is. That's a bit of a paraphrase, but I really like intent trumps everything because you can say I'm going to follow all these rules, but if you're not, if you're doing it for these self-serving or, or control-oriented reasons, I don't know if that really has spiritual cachet or not. Okay, there's, there's my 25 minutes. Um, I just want to add uh, that when he is talking that way, he, he does strongly say we must steer away from promiscuity. <laughs> so, but when he's talking about the kind of premarital sex that there can be the conjugal being preserved in there is when you are, you are committing to one person and you are trying to work on a relationship. So he definitely does not condone just self gratification sex with a bunch of different partners. He, he right. The main thing is work on learning to love one person and whether that person ends up being your forever partner or not that work you're doing to commit to somebody is making a difference to your eternal marriage. That's a great point. Yeah, I'm glad that you you put that in there. So there we go. Let's just wade into that topic. Hey, we said we'll talk about whatever you guys want to talk about, and we did. So I want to say stop right now and say we did it. We hit our goal. I really thought I thought the streak was in jeopardy. We've never missed our goal on one of these shows, but I thought it's going to happen someday. But Sharon... Thank you. Sharon showed up and suddenly we were at our goal. And then right after that, Shelly gave and now we're up above our goal. So thank you so much. And just know all of your donations go twice as far. And you don't have to stop giving now because it really, although we'll do the, our 15 minutes, it continues to support us. And even you guys who are watching taped, you're watching this after the fact, if you donate, you'll still get the two to one match on it. So go ahead and go to otle.causevox.com and keep pumping that up. Thanks so much, everyone. Okay, next question. This is a God dream asks, when Swedenborg discusses the afterlife, is it literal death only? Or is this also including an ego death? I believe it was Buddha who said, we must die before we die. Okay, that's a cool one. So where, where, what are we gonna, what are we gonna say about to Buddha about this saying? Uh, I think, I think it's Paul who says, uh, I die daily, right? Mm. Um, and right. Just so, yeah, definitely. Short answer is yes, it's definitely both. Yeah, let's and let's expand a little bit uh, yeah. on what that uh, what that death before death is like. Yeah, Cara. Um, to me, it makes me think of the the process of repentance and reformation regeneration these three r's that swedenborg talks about um when we realize that there's something that we uh are passionate about that isn't serving us and we uh in one way or another we need to let that love die and I've been through a few of them. Some of them are minor, some of them are major, and it really does feel like a death. And to me, that's just sort of a, another step on the path 
towards spiritual rebirth, um, which is different to me than when Swedenborg talks about the afterlife, which means the death of the body. And then we shed our physical being and move into the spiritual realm. Um, but yeah, so to me, the, the, we die before we die. Absolutely. And then we die and it's a different kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, I, it's a good day to die before we die. Yeah. <laughs> and I just think along with that, that, you know, Swedenborg says how, um, we are, you know, our, our afterlife isn't waiting for us. It's already present with us now. And so that's why the literal death is just when we transition, we, you know, shed this earthly body and then we're just there where we've always been. And that's why, because we've been ourselves or we've been developing this whole time. And so it's almost more true to say that it is the, the, that, and Swedenborg uses different terms because on the one hand, we always need this shell of a sense of ourselves that serves us forever because it's our container of who we are. But right. Swedenborg is very clear and writes about it in some pretty like confronting language of how that our outer self or our lower self, or you might call it our ego self, that does need to die. And it's only when that totally gives up and surrenders to the Lord that he says, that's when we first start to live so that we are, we're just sort of living in this kind of non, you know, not alive yet mode for, yeah. for a lot of our life until we start living. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's really such an interesting thing to think about and interesting to talk about how love is our life. And so that's first line of divine love and wisdom of Swedenborg's work. And that, so that when, when we have to let go of things that we love, cause they are harmful, then it really is death because love is life. So it's like cutting those attachments that, that are to evil and falsity are, are death sort of from a spiritual substance perspective. Yeah it does seem to get kind of hazy. What, when are we in the afterlife? When are we in this? Like not really. I mean, it's very obvious, but again, there's this sort of uh, the, when you have this ego death or regeneration that you go on, you do get more opened up to the presence of the spiritual world with you. Like Swedenborg was basically dead, right? I mean, he, he was just like zooming around in the spiritual world. And then we talked before about does opening of the spiritual eyes have to be, Part of spiritual awakening but swedenborg was as good as dead all the time like what was the difference like he was he was here and there he just could go one more place which was be here um so the the more you become aware of of the afterlife the more you realize we're already in it but you still got this this level to it uh, as well so yeah karen yeah i think adding to to that what you all you guys have been saying is when you do i think we go through many many ego deaths like Kara was indicating um whenever you let an old way of thinking or an old way of feeling die, you emerge as a new version of yourself. And every time that happens, I think we are moving in the spiritual world. So we're not going to be fully aware of that movement um, until our physical body is shed, but we are actually moving locations in the spiritual world as we let these lower uh, parts of ourself die and become dormant we are like shedding layers and becoming kind of lighter <laughs> less dense um and moving around in the spiritual world and i'm thinking of uh jesus saying you must uh, you know no greater love 
is than this to lay down your life for your friends and is not talking about physically dying, but to lay down your ego agenda for the sake of others. And so, yeah, I think as the, uh, the viewer is indicating, there is this ego death that needs to happen more than once. And that's actually moving us, <laughs> moving us along in the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanna um, stop for just a teeny little second to say thanks to Mindy who made a contribution to our program. Ooh. Thank you so much yeah, Mindy. It, that your donation goes twice as far. Thank you for, for continuing to give, uh, you know, that this is what, this is what makes it all happen. And I want to say, um, you know, about, uh, the spiritual awakening and the, the ego dying or the death of that part of it. It's again, this sort of duality in Swedenborg. Cause it's like, yeah, you know, that the ego has got to die and, and become subservient. But as Chelsea says, the sense of self continues to be this essential part of who we are. And even, even our negative parts, Swedenborg yeah, is saying you've got to be purged to go to heaven. You've got to really get your negativity put out, but you never lose anything. Like it yeah. just goes to the periphery. And every once in a while, it gets to come back and relive its glory days. I just, we just did a news <laughs> from heaven about angels have good days and bad days. Angels get let back down into their negative stuff. We do, you continue to, though you will always have periods where there is some of your negativity active because that actually helps you improve over and over. So it's always with Swedenborg, like I was trying to say before, it's this is the way it is, but it's also this way at, at the same time, which is, I guess, just like life. Um, hey, let's let's move on to, to the next one. This is Marilyn Allen who asks, is it good to seek out a psychic to find out if your loved ones are okay? Do we know, do we have jurisdiction on something like this? I, I don't know. Um, yeah, Karen, do you want to, do you have any thoughts? I will say, yeah, like you say, we don't have jurisdiction. I could not say if it is good or bad to seek out a psychic because that it, it so depends on so many factors. Um, and I've heard from both, you know, both kinds of experiences, people who have uh, tried that and it did not help and it didn't go well and people who have tried that and it was beautiful and they did they did uh, feel like they got some connection or some real information about their loved ones. So we, you know, like in our, our show, is it safe to talk to spirits? Um, just so much depends upon intention and, uh, you know, what's going on with both the person helping you and, and yourself. Um, but I would, I would say I would, encourage seeking ways to feel connected to your loved one without, I mean, I totally understand. And I actually had the benefit when my daughter died of a a relative who was pretty spiritually uh, connected and aware and was able to bring me some reports of what was going on with my daughter. Um, But if you don't have that, um, I do encourage people to, to believe in that deeper connection that you are having and to believe in these little feelings or thoughts or signs or whatever it might be coincidences that are uh, that that can be your loved one just trying to get through to you to just say i'm okay and i love you and those kinds of things so um i guess i would just say don't feel like that is a requirement to to find peace about your loved one. I, I sure understand being through grief, how you feel desperate for some 
obvious connection. Um, and again, we can't say whether you should do that or didn't, shouldn't, but um, just also believe there, there are these deeper ways to connect. Great, yeah, like like sort of the, the both sides on it. It's not strong language. It, it, we can't as professional Swedenborgians, which that's what we are, aren't we? <laughs> um, we can't say, oh yeah, based on Swedenborg, this. I mean, you get, we have a show that's called, Is It Safe to Talk to Spirits? Which I think gives a pretty thorough treatment of Swedenborg's, what, what he has to say about the, the pitfalls of trying to talk to the spiritual world. And the, the good, obviously he was doing it pretty well. So uh, other than that, um, uh, other than the solid advice Karin gave, Cara or Chelsea, do you, either of you want to weigh on it? Yeah, Cara. Taking the question very literally to find out if they are okay, I would just say that they are okay. <laughs> um, that, right. that everybody on the other side is taken care of in the most careful uh, way. And though we all might have some, some stuff we have to go through in an effort to really find out who we truly are, who we truly want to be, it might be some bumpy rides for a while. But uh, we're all going to be okay because that's the agenda, is to get us to where we are who we are and we end up where we belong. That's a great point. So check, check that one off the list already. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I guess just one thought I have is that like uh, that that's what I think Swedenborg offers, which is so great, is understanding the framework of the spiritual world, and you know, uh, and Swedenborg knew, you know, as anybody can, how of course if somebody is saying, "Hey, I'm a psychic, I can tell you how your loved ones are doing in the afterlife," we're going to be curious and we're going to want to go and ask those people what's up and. Um, and like even and even Swedenborg himself told other people about, uh, hey, your spouse is this or your family is that or your brother is this and gave people reports from the afterlife, um, like kind of used his used it as a mediumship. It's not like he sung a sign, you know, hung a sign out his door and started getting paid for it or something. He was just offering it as information. Um, but so so it's like, again, it's not necessarily is it good or bad? It's that there is this spiritual world that you can understand and, and Swedenborg wrote all these books about it to help us understand this is what heaven is like. This is what life after death is like the process dying and waking up in the spiritual world and, and kind of uh, so we can have access so that everybody can basically have access to that knowledge. And when, and when that's just there, then the question of, should I go to a psychic or not? Is like, well, is it a good psychic? You know, I don't know. Like, is it a, yeah. like any business? Like, well, should I go get a massage? Well, yeah, if, if the person's recommended or whatever, you know, like you just know what to watch out for and what not to, you know, and what to avoid and everything. So. Right. Kind of Maybe some of the spirit of the question is in, there are, I think some religious traditions that will put a blanket statement out. Like all those things are bad, but you make a great point about it's, it's about the function, it's about the heart and mind of the person who's there. We certainly couldn't say that that somebody who's saying they can see the spirit world can't. They they may well do it. I, I couldn't imagine starting a business like that unless I really could. So it's probably <laughs> out there. And I want to say that I was reading a really great introduction to this Shorter Works of 1763 by Dr. Jonathan Rose, where he lines out how Swedenborg sort of used his mediumship as a promotional tool. 
that in Sweden, he was having a lot of trouble getting anybody to pay attention to any of his books. He was not getting response from the British when he went and published in London. So when he went back to Sweden, he started telling everyone about all, uh, how their loved ones are doing. And it created this whole buzz around the community. And that was to try to get people to look at his books. So, <laughs> so he wasn't above uh, doing that. Oh, I'll just say, you know, I, I listened to that uh, introduction because it's available as an audiobook on the Swedenborg Foundation YouTube channel. That's out now? Everybody can go yeah. listen. Yes. What? Okay. And you guys. And then you can hear <laughs> some fun extra interviews with Jonathan Rose about that subject matter in the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast. Okay. The promotions are over. Coming up on <laughs> Sunday. Okay. Hey. Let's, uh, let's take another question that maybe before our bonus round begins. Empatheo asks, I was thinking if the Bible is written in parables because it wasn't the right time to know everything, what if some Swedenborg's texts are the same? Written in parables and we can't understand it yet. Well, for sure we can't understand it because really what even is goodness and truth? And you talk about goodness and truth all the time. I couldn't draw it for you. I have like sort of an idea. But um, what do you think? Are, are there any correspondences? Every week on News from Heaven, which is pretty great. What's that? <laughs> you uh, do try to draw it every week on News from Heaven, which is pretty great. <laughs> so you, there's there's evidence out there that I don't know what goodness and truth are. <laughs> you can watch me flounder on our Wednesday show. Yeah. Karen. Um, I'll just share some some thoughts. I do want to acknowledge that there are some Swedenborgians that do look at Swedenborg's writings that way, that look for um, deeper meaning in what is uh, what is written. Um, to me, it's a different kind of, a different kind of revelation than the Bible. Um, I don't see it as written in parables so much as um, that, that this revelation was supposed to um, be offered in a, a rational way that our rational minds could chew over and think over. So that's just a different thing than parables. Swedenborg sure uses tons of examples um, that you have to remember our dated example. You know, he's like using examples from the 1700s and things to try to help us grasp these things. But I I don't see that as parables. I see that as, yeah, just as, as examples to help our rational minds have something to, to use to understand. Um, so I, I don't see it as parables. It's just my, my opinion. I, I feel like it's when Jesus said, I, at, there will come a time I'll tell you plainly about the father. Like Swedenborg was called to this mission of starting that. I mean, he was starting to tell us more plainly about the things that Jesus couldn't talk to people about yet. And, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ, um, giving that to Swedenborg to, uh, to explain as, as best as Swedenborg could through his particular mind. Um, I do know that there were things that Swedenborg was not permitted to write <laughs> a couple of times. Yeah. So there's some things I'm not allowed to tell you. Once in Divine Providence, I just recently came across it. Like there's some things about Providence I'm just not allowed to write yet. <laughs> tell, we can handle it. Just tell us. I know. And then apparently near his death, I remember reading that he said to somebody, oh, if only you could know the things I wasn't permitted. Because someone was saying, I'm so grateful for all you wrote. And Swedenborg said, I, oh, if only you knew the things I wasn't allowed to write. So that's, uh, you know, 
what he's given us is plenty. Like it's going to take me my whole lifetime <laughs> here on earth to like try to absorb that. So we've been given plenty to work with, uh, but it's also exciting to know that there's just endless um, more stuff to learn that we'll learn in the afterlife. But also I think Swedenborg's writings are not supposed to give us every single answer. They're supposed to give us this wonderful big broad framework that then we can take and through our as we spiritually grow, we'll get insights coming in from the Lord that can add to that. So there's some thoughts. Great. No, I, I love it. Um, any, any further thoughts uh, from the, from the group, Chelsea? Oh, I was going to say, go ahead, Cara. And then, oh. yeah, I do. Have a oh, cause I have, I have this little, for you folks at home, I have this little view up there of all <laughs> of them. And to just like, so we don't start that awkward Zoom thing of like, oh, you go. No, oh, we both start here. I try to see like who's kind of, okay, me and, and call them. But but I misread some cues. Okay, Cara, do you want to start us off? Sure. Just, um, we were talking earlier about the difference between in the Bible between, for instance, the epistles and the stories. And I think of it as sort of the same thing that the, uh, the writers of the epistles were starting to start, trying to start the Christian church. And Swedenborg here is, again, appealing to our sort of rational mind to start this new church. So, um, yeah, so I don't tend to think of it in the parable-y kind of way. But like Corin says, some people do read the do Swedenborg's works just the same way. They're looking for an inner meaning, an inner sense all throughout it. Yeah. For me, it definitely seems like a very different experience reading the Bible versus reading Swedenborg. With the Bible, you can tell it is art. It is saying something. There is hidden meaning in it. It's like song lyrics from the 90s, alternative rock. Like there, It's a poem. you got to pull something out of it. Where Swedenborg is very much trying to get you to understand a particular thing. Like the, There's no uh, obfuscating or, or trying to shroud it in layers of, of like cool-looking fog. It's just... Do you understand this? I'm going to just hammer you until you understand exactly what I'm talking about. It seems very much like if there were, I would be shocked if it was in correspondences, but this is me. Um, yeah. Well, so, yeah, the thing I was thinking of saying, it's kind of like a middle in between thing between what you all are saying. And uh, is it was making me think of Swedenborg's experience of, seeing the Nunkleket temple that what he describes as the Nunkleket temple. And it's called that because he sees this temple in in the spiritual world in heaven, I guess. And there's this inscription in Latin over the door that says a uh, longer than just Nunkleket, but it says now it is permitted to enter with understanding into the mysteries of faith. And in this number where he's describing it, and I, I pulled it up. So I want to read it because, so it's from true Christianity um, 508. And I just love this idea where he says in the new church, we are allowed to use our intellect to explore and penetrate all the church's mysteries and also to use the word to support what we find. The reason this is allowed is that the teachings of the new church are continuous truths revealed by the Lord through the word. Rational arguments that support these truths cause the intellect to open up more and more at its highest level and to be elevated into the light that the angels in heaven enjoy. And so, and he goes on, but that idea that there is this, like, even if Swedenborg's just like, here's the teaching, he calls what he wrote the teachings for the new church. But he's saying the, there are these continuous truths that has this, like, infinite depth 
where we open up to heaven. And so it's kind of the both and where we, it's trying to make it as plain, you know, to talk plainly of the father. But then of course, like Curtis was saying, there's going to be this, there's just this ever deepening sense of like, wow, I didn't even, how did I not know this? Or like, I couldn't never thought of this this way before. You know, we're just always going to be expanding our sense of what, of what these truths that we read on this, in this book mean, because we're opening up more and more to the light of heaven. So that's a great point. It so is the journey with it, that things in those very books, uh, Swedenborg's books, it's, I understood in a fairly flat wooden way so many years ago, continue to show new life and show new. This is why when I go to read Swedenborg, I just open some book that I know I've already read and read it. And wow, this is something. So I, yeah, there's definitely a lot to be said for the, the continuous container that, that you can get something and get new insights out of something. Cause there's infinite insights circling around any one sentence. And then we start to get into like the communication of ideas by writing and what, but yeah, oh, this is great. This is great. Hey, I want to say something. Gloria made a donation. Thank you so much. We appreciate you supporting what we're doing. Uh, and that goes twice as far because of the matching gift. She went to otle.causebox.com. You can, whether you're watching live or watching in post. Okay, we are into our bonus round here. This is because of all your donations that we're even talking anymore. So thank you so much. We got 10 more minutes. Let's make them count. This is from... Mindy Tarkini, writer in residence, who asks, how do you know a sign is a sign? Is it a pylon of synchronicities, just that constant nudge? I always worry that something is wishful thinking. Yeah. Do we get little hints? You know, are our angels or somebody trying to talk to us through correspondences or something? And and uh, how, how would you ever know? Yeah, Chelsea. Um, yeah, I just want to say that I think that the, I want to, be empathetic to her say of, I always worry something is wishful thinking. And I think that that's a universal experience and that that is a certain level of your mind that's always going to be thinking that way. And so that, that, that the lower, the lower mind is always going to take any sign and say, is this wishful thinking have that kind of fear and concern? Um, and that, uh, and so I've totally experienced that. And even as I, for myself, get more sort of sensitive to say, oh, well, maybe it is. And still, you know, making space, knowing that that part of my mind is always piping up and saying like, well, is it or not? And um, so just wanted to put that out there that I, I just totally get it. And just that you think, is this wishful thinking doesn't mean that it is, you know, or like that. Anyway, yeah. Right. And that's a, it's a great point, because we tend to think, oh, if it's something cool, it's probably not real, because I, th I want it to be real yeah, or something, but, but that, that, that very uh, longing can be, you know, heaven inspires longing. So yeah, Karen. Yeah. I was assuming when I read the question that Mindy is talking about like a sign from a loved one, like I love you and I'm here and that kind of thing. And for that kind of sign, I, yeah, I agree with Chelsea that there's always going to be this niggling lower part of our mind trying to second guess that, but I think when you just feel something, you know, something happens and you feel, uh, you know, this something about that reminds you of your loved one, or you feel this little surge of love, or or this memory or something. I would just say, just let yourself believe that's real, because at that moment when it just stirred something up in you about your loved one, 
you knew right at that moment that that was real. And it's just kind of after the fact, your, your, your lower mind is going to try to talk you out of it or something. But the thing is, love is the most real thing, you know? And, and so I feel like rather than our lower mind who, that is going to try to always um, be skeptical, like, oh, whatever I most wish for with my heart is not going to be the real thing. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think it's the opposite. Like whatever would be the most loving thing, that is true. So if like right when you needed a, a sign and you feel like, oh, that was my, my loved one. Yeah, absolutely. Just let yourself believe that. I believe that's true, that those, those are real. Um, it occurred to me another thing can be, there can be sort of signs like, oh, this sign is saying I'm supposed to do that or supposed to do that. And with that, you might need more discernment about what, where is this leading me? And that, you know, that kind of thing. But for the signs of just like, a sign that your loved one, I'm here. I love you. It's okay. You know, I would say always believe in those. That's, that's just love and love is the most real thing. That's cool. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's great. Cara, any, any final thoughts? Yeah, just to me, um, like Karin says, in the moment of that kind of sign, if that brings your loved one to your mind and your heart, there he is. And go for it. You know, <laughs> to me, it's a super wonderful gift that some people get. And uh, some people are shy about accepting gifts, period. This kind of gift, I too would love to encourage people to, you know, learn how to accept and, and believe in. Great. Hey, let's end on a potentially controversial note, shall we? We have one more question. And this is from Shane Aegis, who asks, where does the Book of Mormon fit into the Swedenborgian point of view? Do you believe it is a true alternate testament of Jesus Christ in the Americas? Okay, so let's start admitting whether we've read it or not. I have not. <laughs> I have okay. not. Okay. I, I, I want to yeah. just point out that the Book of Mormon was written after Swedenborg's writing, so of course he's not going to be saying anything about it. Um, right. There, there have been lots of texts in lots of world cultures and things that that are said to be from spiritual origins, and I really think that's for people themselves to decide in the validity of that. Um, I, I ha do have a interesting article I share with people sometimes where somebody uh, looks at the similarities and differences between what Swedenborg wrote and what's written in the Book of Mormon. Yeah, I haven't read the Book of Mormon. Um, so it's it's not something we can, from Swedenborg, make some judgment on. But if, if anyone wants to just give us a comment and we can share that article where somebody compares the concepts, um, uh, you know, just look at what, what is being written about the concepts um, that, yeah. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, this is kind of one of those examples where, right, like what Karin said, it doesn't exactly fit. I mean, Swedenborg himself, since it didn't exist when he was writing, it doesn't really fit. But then beyond that, it's, it's a religious tradition that uh, is, so even though it came about after Swedenborg was writing, he writes that, you know, any, any religious tradition can, 
you know, and, and whatever religious texts are at the basis of that can, um, are truths that can lead people to heaven, to accepting the Lord and, and, you know, being in a spiritual community. Um, and I, uh, I guess like this person says, is it a true alternate Testament of Jesus Christ in the Americas? Like I said, I'm not as familiar with it, but same with, um, you know, there's the, the Jesus came to show us what the divine human is and that, you know, like is the embodiment of the divine human. And so again, if any, if any text is connecting us to the, to what the one God is and developing a relationship with that, whatever the substance of it is here, we're going to get to continue to grow in our understanding of that in the afterlife. Um, and about like uh, religious like ideas in general, I feel like it's great to go to, people who are of that tradition and there are a lot of um Swedenborgian Mormons or one time I heard somebody say they wanted to call themselves Sweden Mormons um <laughs> and uh so there there are a lot of people who are Mormon who have grappled with you know who have found delight and inspiration in Swedenborg's works and who have um sort of married that to their Mormon faith and uh and so I feel like I would ask them what they think uh about it um and, and there are, I think, <clears throat> well, there's the watching and reading Swedenborg Facebook group. Um, and there are a lot of Mormons who are in that group who, who you could reach out to if this person is like specifically wants to have that kind of a conversation. Um, I think there's also, and if this person is Mormon, um, there's also, I think I heard mentioned that they, a group of people were going to start their own Mormon Swedenborgian Facebook group specifically uh -huh. for other Mormons who, who want to connect about Swedenborg. So that might be out there, although I don't have a like name in my mind for that. So, yeah. Yeah. I would say um, it's cool to have those direct resources and just thinking about that phrase fit into the Swedenborgian point of view. One of the things I like about the Swedenborgian point of view is that it is one of, I don't know how many there really are that from the ground up, like from their founding, had the space to fit other things into it <laughs> that Swedenborg for example will say like yeah correspondences and the obviously the uh the Torah and the Gospels and the New Testament he fits those in but did he actually say yeah the Greek myths the Egyptian hieroglyphics these are correspondences as well these other religions this is where they come that his is a framework that acknowledges the existence of all those right so that's one thing but then also, I, I generally, because I love Swedenborg stuff so much, I generally think just about everything else, like, ah, that's probably, it's, who knows if it's anything, but Swedenborg is really something. But you never know what the Lord is doing, because even while Swedenborg was getting all of his insights and writing his writings, he says in there somewhere, I can't remember where, he says, right now there are people in Africa getting either a similar or equivalent revelation to what I'm getting. So the, the Lord's working in a lot of ways, man, and so... Um, I certainly have encountered some very enthusiastic Mormons who uh, found our channel and, and love it and feel like it's compatible and that sort of thing. So that's, that's what I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, I love the place where Swedenborg talks about, you know, so he's talking about this new church that we mentioned and the teachings of the new church being these continuous truths. And, and he describes the new church as, ha as having just this great variety um, and he, the, the new church varieties is sort of like a phrase. And he's, I think that like the, the seven churches that are talked about in the book of revelation, or just there's other places in the Bible that, um, he says are 
uh, talking about the the new church and all of its varieties. And so that uh, is it's just really cool to see like yeah. going on what you were saying, Curtis, that people are um, it's fun to see it growing and to see, you know, to see people connecting to these truths, no matter what uh, their religious background. That's great. Hey guys, we're over time. <laughs> we're over our time. Karen, you can say something, but it's gotta be really, really short. Mark <laughs> talks about the Lord works through texts. He talks about Islam being written because it would particularly speak to a certain kind of people in the Arab world. So that the Lord works through all sorts of different texts to reach people because the whole point is not exact ideas, but is it leading you to love, love of the neighbor, love of God. There you have it. Karin gets the last word and this flew by <laughs> this was super fun. Hey, I want to say thanks again to everyone who gave. We had a total of five donors giving $130. So with our match, that's $260 coming in to OptiLeft. I thank you, everyone, and you watching at home uh, in post. Go ahead and drive that number higher. Hey, what do we do with that money? Why are we asking for it? Well, we make programming. And guess what? There's programming coming up this Sunday. We have a podcast coming out. Uh, the episode of Inside Off the Left Eye is Signs of Awakening in a Strange Case of Spiritual blindness so be sure to tune into that on sunday then when monday rolls around our next episode of swedenborg and life kicks off a new week and a new subject with this show spirits cause anxiety how, how are you gonna miss that one mm. thanks chelsea and cara and karen it was super fun having all of you on today yeah thanks so much it was really great to be here i love getting to spend this time with everybody here here i agree thanks for watching yeah, wishing you all a wonderful week. Thanks for being here. All right, everybody. We'll see you again super soon. So don't even worry about it. Talk to you later.